Cool. Thanks, Gina. Um, so yeah, we're going to spend some time um, just going through those four verses again today. It's kind of nice just taking a, a little bit of the Bible and, and going into it a bit deeper. And um, if you're visiting or you haven't been around, um, we've been doing this series called The Kingdom, um, going through Matthew chapter 8 to 10, and um, we're, we're getting through chapter 8. And the last few weeks has been Jesus doing amazing things, um, touching people and seeing them healed, um, seeing people with great faith trust him, um, seeing crowds of people surround him, and but at the same time doing things that we wouldn't expect, um, like touching a leper. It's not something you're supposed to do. Um, uh, we, we would see things like the gentle man who's not, not a religious guy, a military guy, who's got greater faith than others. And, and even last week... Um, Jesus' compassion and power and authority to heal. And the, the idea of this series has kind of been, well, actually, the kingdom is so different often to what we would expect. Um, God often works and values things that maybe we wouldn't or we, we sort of think, think about things differently. We have to constantly be challenged. And again, I think the situation Jesus is in today, uh, in these verses, we might handle them really differently because uh, Jesus has these huge crowds of people following him now. Um, He's, he's been teaching, he's been healing, people are being transformed, there's all this joy and celebration, it's amazing. Uh, and you would think that this is like success, like, like Jesus has gone viral, like it's spread, everyone knows, he's famous, like this is amazing, let's just get a big stadium, let's just get more and more people, like bring them all in. And, and that's what we would probably do, like that's what we would expect, like the more people, the better. Uh, but not Jesus. <laughs> he, he, he sees these crowds... And we just read then, when Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. You just try and picture this situation. Like Jesus is here, all these people have come, this huge crowd, and behind him is the Sea of Galilee, this, this lake, like a big, a big lake. And he says, we're gone. <laughs> like, we're getting out of here. Like He saw the crowd and he says, let's go. And it's not like, let's just move away. It's like, let's get on a boat on water where people have to work really hard to follow us. Like, like what's the most difficult way we can make it for people to get to us? Let's do that. Like, like and he literally gets on this boat um, and goes across the Sea of Galilee. So it's like a decent um, trip. Uh, it's not like, 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 it's actually like a barrier that he's getting away from the crowds. Like, it's not that Jesus is just camping out. Yep, let's get more and more people. He sees the crowds and moves away from them. And you might read this and sort of think, Jesus doesn't care. Like, Jesus doesn't care about being famous. Jesus doesn't care about having crowds. Jesus doesn't want attention. And, and maybe some of that's true. But another way to think of it is that Jesus moves away from the crowds because he cares. He, he cares about the crowds. He cares about the people. But because he cares, he's not going to give them what they want. What they want is for him to stay there and do miracles and amazing things. But that's not what they need. What they need is to make a decision to follow him. Uh, Dale Brunner puts it this way, Jesus may have felt that if the crowds of the world were to be helped in depth, in soul and not just in body and mind, he had to do something deeper than heal. He had to make disciples. Real disciples are the world's healthiest reality and evil's major antibodies. Real Christian people are the stem cells the world most needs. Before this, he said to his followers, you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And Jesus, because he cares about the crowds, moves away from them because he knows what the crowds need is not just to be healed or not just to see amazing things. They need people who decide to follow Jesus and are transformed 
and in being transformed actually bring life and, and healing to the world. Uh, so Jesus actually what he's doing is what the crowds need. It's actually because he cares about people and he cares about the world, he moves away from the crowds. And by moving away, he's, he's forcing a decision. Um, it's literally a decision whether to follow him. Like we talk about following Jesus and, and because he's not here as a physical person, we mean we, we follow him, we read his word, we base our life on his teachings, we come to church, we listen to the spirit. For these people, it was literally Jesus is going across the lake are you going to follow him? Like, that's what it looked like to follow Jesus. Like, either get on a boat or run around the lake and, and, get, and get to where he's going. And by, by doing this, he's, he's forcing a decision. Um, he's not just going to camp out with the crowds, but he says, are you going to follow me? And it's actually going to involve leaving here and getting on a boat, getting around a lake, doing something different. So he's forcing this decision. And this is a point of opportunity to, to respond. And what we see in this story is two responses to this decision. Because Jesus is literally going... And people have to decide, am I going to follow him or not? And these two different guys respond to this crisis of decision in different ways. And Jesus gives them different responses as well. So we're looking at two responses. Um, the first is of an excited Bible teacher. So this guy is excited about Jesus. And we see this in the way that, that, that we, Tina just read out before. So this is Jesus is leaving the crowds. Then a teacher of the law came up to him. So some people translate this a Bible teacher, a religious scholar, um, a guy who knows his stuff. He came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So this man's a Bible teacher. He sees that Jesus is really good at teaching. It's interesting, he doesn't call Jesus Lord. He calls him teacher. And he makes this bold declaration of following him, of discipleship. And again, we, we would probably think, oh, great, crowds. But no, Jesus goes away. We would probably think, oh, great, like an enthusiastic guy who wants to follow Jesus. Come on. But Jesus, again, surprises us. This guy who's enthusiastic, he's a teacher, he wants to follow Jesus. He says, wherever you're going, Jesus, I'm going to follow. And Jesus responds in this kind of cryptic way. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Like, that's probably not what you'd say to someone who's really enthusiastic about following him. Like... Jesus kind of is, is, is almost pushing back on this guy a little bit. And what he's really doing is, is to this guy who's overly excited, he's, again, Jesus is not like, I just want numbers and a heap of people. And he's like, I don't just want people who are really enthusiastic. He wants like quality people who know what they're signing up for and they're going to go the distance. So he says to this guy who's really enthusiastic, he says to him, count the cost. Jesus doesn't want just people to come in unaware. He wants them to understand what it's going to look like and what it's going to take. And he asks this guy to count the cost. He says this, Foxes have dens. Foxes have a place to live. Birds have a place to live. Effectively, he's saying, I'm homeless. I don't have a place to live. And you don't know, we don't know what this Bible teacher was thinking, but you can imagine maybe he's thinking, Jesus is an amazing Bible teacher. He's going places. All these people are interested in him. I'm a Bible teacher, maybe I can help Jesus, maybe I'll get some benefit. Jesus must be going to some nice house somewhere, so I'm going to follow him to where he goes. And Jesus says to this guy, look, I'm just following God in complete dependence. I don't have a home, I don't own very many things, I'm dependent on the, the compassion of people around me, and I don't, I'm worse off than foxes and birds. Like, like, this is not a glamorous life you're signing up for. This guy might have thought this is like career advancement, glamorous life. Jesus says, no, count the costs, like... Like, I don't have a home. Like, I'm just going one day at a time and trusting my father. 
So he says to this guy, count the cost. He doesn't want him to sign up unaware. And it's an interesting picture. Um, I've been thinking about this this week, this idea that Jesus didn't have a home. Like he didn't have somewhere to live. Like he grew up in his parents' home, but then the years that he was traveling, he, he says, effectively, this statement is a statement that I'm homeless, which is an interesting thing to think. We follow a guy who was effectively homeless. And what, what does that mean? It's interesting. I found this um, this week is a statue. Um, it's actually made by a Canadian artist. Uh, there's quite a few around the world. This, this, I don't know if it's this one, but there's one in Sydney um, at, a, at a church in Sydney. It might be Anglican Church. And it's a statue of a homeless person um, on a bench, and there's space to sit next to them. But if you look carefully at the feet, um, there's nail marks in the feet. And the statue is called Homeless Jesus. And the, the statue's kind of got attention around the world. It's meant a lot to the homeless community um, in the sense of Jesus identifying with them and, and uh, particularly churches when, when people are caring for the poor and this, this recognition that Jesus is present in that. But I think this is an interesting picture of how, how do we picture Jesus and what does it look like to actually picture Jesus as someone who was homeless? Now, he wasn't necessarily homeless in the same way that people are homeless today, but that statement is quite strong. Like, like foxes have dens and birds have nests. I don't even have that. Like, like it's quite a strong statement this guy says, that Jesus says to this guy. And he's actually saying, well, do you really realize what my life looks like? And you're saying you want to follow me wherever I'm going. This is where I'm going. And he, he dispels this guy's illusions and is calling him to count the cost. Plummer says this about Jesus. Jesus' life began in a borrowed stable and ended in a borrowed tomb. I think by the world standards, Jesus' life was not very glamorous. Like, like he was not well off. Um, he was not successful by the world standards. Uh, his life looked very different. Um, and Jesus is honest about what it takes to follow him. Like, this is one of the things I love about these verses. Like, these verses are intense. Like, Jesus is blunt, but he's honest. Like, he doesn't want people to come. He doesn't manipulate people in. He doesn't want people to follow him unaware. He wants them to come and make an honest decision. So this guy who kind of thinks maybe Jesus is going to this amazing place, he's honest with him. He says, no, like, I'm just going to trust God, and we're going around, and we're going to sleep where we can take it. And if you want that kind of life, good. And if not, like, you need to be aware of that. Like, he's honest about what it will take to follow him. He says this again in Matthew 16 in a similar sort of um, passage about the cost. He says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Again, Jesus, effectively homeless, is going on a journey that will lead to being rejected and hated and crucified. And he's asking people to follow him. So he, he wants them to know, that's, that's where I'm going. If you want to follow good, but that's where I'm going. He doesn't want people to come in just excited, and then when they realize what it's really about, drop off. He, he says, no, count the cost. So to this overly excited guy, he says, like, count the cost. Actually realize where I'm going. And, and, and sign up aware. And I suppose the question for us today is, is what, what's our expectation of what following Jesus will look like today? Because um, maybe in some ways, with the, the Christian sort of culture, vision of success looks like you, you get married, you have kids, you have a family, you have a home, like you, you're successfully used by God in, in different places, and it's really good. Um, but that wasn't Jesus' life. Like, Jesus is living effectively homeless, he's single, he's celibate, 
He doesn't have kids. He's rejected and he's crucified. Like basically the opposite of what any kind of success looks like in the world. And that's the man that we follow. That's the one we've based our whole life on. And, and what's our expectation of what that's going to look like? And, and maybe that does involve like, those things. It's not, not that it's wrong to have a house or kids or, or be married and, and God gives those things and they're good. But if we think that that's our right and, and that's definitely what life has to look like, but that's not what Jesus' life looked like and he's the one we follow, maybe it's not. Like, and, and maybe there might be times when things look really different. Um, but he wants us to count the cost. He wants us to actually look at him and decide, actually, are we going to follow him? And it actually involves a cross. It actually involves maybe a life that looks really different to the expectations of a society, of our culture, what success looks like. So to the overly excited Bible teacher, Jesus says, count the cost. So then there's this other guy, um, the hesitating son, who kind of is a little bit the opposite. This other guy is super excited. I'm going to follow you wherever. This guy, it says, another disciple said to him, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. So he he's, wants to follow Jesus. And it's interesting, he calls him Lord. So he kind of sees who Jesus is, but he, but he says, I've got to do this other thing first, and then I'll follow you. Now, again, what would we say to this guy? Like, we'd probably say, sure thing, like, no worries. Like, you want to follow Jesus, that's good. You just got to attend to your father, go do it, and then come back and follow it. Like, that, that probably makes sense. Uh, but again, not Jesus. Jesus says it quite differently. This guy is saying, I need to go bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Like, that's very blunt. Like, it's quite a strong statement that Jesus makes. And, and potentially even sounds somewhat offensive even. This guy's father potentially is dying and, and Jesus says, just forget, forget about it. Like, and I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Like, that's what it might look like. It's interesting, this phrase, let, let me first go and bury my father, and kind of what could actually be going on here. There's a couple of things that could be going on. One is that actually, yeah, his father's just passed away, and, and he needs to attend to his father's funeral, which is probably like one of the biggest and most valid excuses to get out of something ever. Like, like, like if there was something that you really had to drop everything and do, like that's probably it. And that is, but particularly in that culture, it's like any responsibility that you had, if you had to do that, like completely, that's fine. That's priority. Like, so it's a serious priority that he has to have. It's not, it's not like a small thing. It's a serious thing. So it could be that. It seems more likely um, that the phrase bury my father means take care of my father until he passes, and then I'll be free from my obligations to my parents, and I can come and follow you. That, that it, like the, 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 his, the son is responsible to look after his parents who are aging and he's fulfilling his responsibilities as the son and once he does that and his father's passed away, then he'll be free from his family obligations and then he can follow Jesus. It seems a bit more likely that that's the case, which means that he's actually putting it off for a while. Like he's sort of saying, I'll follow you, Jesus, but, but once I need to just get free from these family obligations and once I've got that sorted, then I'll follow. And Jesus' response to that is, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And this guy, in some ways, is hesitant. He wants to follow Jesus, but he's hesitant. And maybe he has a good excuse, but in some ways, it's still an excuse. He's putting it off. And the the, the word that gives it away is first. I'll follow you, Jesus, but first, I need to do this. It's kind of like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it, but I just need to do this first. And, And Jesus says the same thing in a different way to this guy. He tells him to count the cost. But this time, it's a different cost. 
It's not the cost of following him, it's the cost of not following him. Um, Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And it's quite a strong statement, like, like we said. But, but Jesus is, is, in a sense, shaking this guy up and showing him the seriousness of the decision that he's making right now. Um, he might say, yeah, I'm going to follow, but first I just need to go and deal with my father. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus, Jesus is effectively saying, you're making a decision that's life and death right now. And, and actually the society you're a part of is dead, like, which is a strong statement. But Jesus is saying that he is life. This man is standing before the author of life. And Jesus says to put me off and go back. You're going back to a society that's dead, that, that's, that's not following him. And, and Jesus says, let, let that go and follow me. He, he's actually kind of shaking this guy and sort of saying, this is a serious life and death decision you're making. Follow me. Like he actually calls him to it. He says, count the cost. It's going to cost you to, to follow me, but it's going to be better than not. There's a cost in not following me. Um, William Barclay says, kind of rephrases what Jesus is saying. This is one interpretation. It says, Jesus was saying to this man, you're feeling at the moment that you must get out of that dead society in which you move. You say you will get out when the years have passed and your father has died. Get out now or you will never get out at all. This guy, Jesus is like waking this guy up and said, you're right here. Do it. Follow me. There's a cost to not. You may never do it. Uh, William Barclay, this is a bit of a longer quote, but I found it really helpful. Just this idea of this moment that this guy's in of a decision about Jesus and Jesus kind of taking and seizing the moment. It says this, Jesus was wise. Jesus knew the human heart. And Jesus knew well that if that man did not follow him on that moment, he never would. Again and again, there come to us moments of impulse when we are moved to the higher things. And again and again, we let them pass without acting upon them. The tragedy of life is so often the tragedy of the unseized moment. We are moved to some fine action. We are moved to the abandoning of some weakness or habit. We are moved to say something to someone, some word of sympathy, of warning or encouragement. But the moment passes, and the thing is never done. The evil is never conquered, and the word is never spoken. In the best of us, there is a certain lethargy and inertia. There is a certain habit of procrastination and of putting things off. There is a certain fear and indecision, and the moment is never turned into action and into fact. And as this guy is hesitating, and Jesus kind of wakes him up and is honest about what's at stake. Like, like, like he, he's saying, like, he doesn't say, like, we might say, like, oh yeah, it's fine, just, just go and do that, and that's good that you want to follow me eventually. Like, he's like, no, this is serious. Like, this is, and imagine that. Like, like he's saying, yes, I've got to go to my father, but he's, he's putting off God. <laughs> like, Jesus is God in the flesh right there, and this guy's, yeah, but just first I've got to do this. It's like, it's like, no, you don't realize the decision that's at hand. You don't realize what's at stake. Jesus says this again in Matthew 16, where he read that other passage. After that, where he talks about carrying a cross. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone if they gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Again, Jesus is just brutally honest. He says to this guy, you're going back to your society, but it's a dead society. He's saying to people, you put off following me and gain the whole world, and you're going to lose your soul. Like, that's intense. But, but that's the reality. 
that Jesus is the way to life and there is no other. And you could have everything that the world offers, but if you don't have him, you've got nothing. So he says to this guy, like, like count, count the cost. Recognize that, yes, there's a cost to follow me, but there's a bigger cost to not following me. And he actually kind of shakes this guy and says, follow me. Do, do it now. He calls this guy in. And I suppose the question for us from that is, have we actually seized the opportunity to follow Jesus? Like, like maybe, maybe we've kind of just been going through the motions and, and maybe we've never actually made a decision to say, actually, yeah, Jesus is Lord and he's my saviour and I'm going to follow him and actually done that. Or maybe we've done that, but then it's kind of, we know that he's calling us to things and he's leading us down a path and we sort of say, yeah, but first I just need to fulfil this obligation and I just need to deal with this stuff and then I'll get to you, Jesus. And, and, and have we actually seized the opportunity to follow him and to continue to follow him? So see, these are pretty intense things to say, right? Like people who want to follow him, and he says, count the cost. Uh, this guy who seems to just want to look after his family, and Jesus says, no, count the cost, like you need to follow me. And Jesus is pretty strong. And, and like I said before, when I've read these before, it kind of sounds a bit like Jesus doesn't care. Like it sounds like Jesus doesn't care about the crowds. He doesn't care about this Bible teacher. He's kind of just brushing him off. He tells this guy, just don't, don't care about your family. Like, don't worry about your family. Just follow me. And we know that's not true because Jesus does call us to honor parents and, and honor family. They're the issues that he's saying first. But it kind of seems like Jesus is just brushing these things off in these remarks. But I don't think that's the case. Jesus is leaving the crowds and Jesus is speaking so strongly because he cares. Because he cares deeply. He, he, he's like a good doctor who just gives it to you straight. Like... Like sometimes you just need it really straight. The truth is really not pleasant or, or comfortable. It, it's going to be difficult. But in love, the doctor doesn't like, like make it easy or kind of just go around it, but actually just says it. Like, this is how it is, and this is what needs to be done to survive. And, and Jesus says, this is how it is. Following me is a cost. But it's worth the cost. The cost of not following me is worse. And, and it's because he cares. I used to think it's kind of like he doesn't care about this guy. Like, just, well, if you're going to prioritize your father, then don't bother following me. I don't think that's the case. Like, this guy's about to go back, and Jesus almost picks him up and shakes him and says, no, follow me. Like, like, do it. Like, he cares about this guy, and he wants him in. But what we see from this passage is that either way, there's a cost. Like, we might imagine that there's a path that there's no cost. Like, there's a path that just says comfort, ease, um, success, favor and eternal life and close to God and, and forever. And, and, and see, in Jesus, the way that Jesus talks about following him, that, that's not an option. <laughs> an option is either the cost of following him or the cost of not following him. And, and either way, there's a cost. There's no path that there is no cost. Um, so it's not a decision, well, am I going to carry a cost? It's which cost? <laughs> is the cost of following him or the cost of not following him? And what he's saying in these, these passages is following him is worth the cost. It's, it's far worth it. He says you could gain the whole world and it's not worth it compared to missing out on Jesus. Even if it means living homeless and single like him for, for all this, this life, um, it's worth it. That's how he lived. He's, he's God. Like, like he, he, he carries a cross and it's worth it. For the joy set before him, he carried the cross. Like, like, so yes, there's a cost, but the cost of not following is worse. Um, Dallas Willard puts it, this way in a, in a quote. He talks about the cost of non-discipleship. The cost of choosing not to follow Jesus is far greater, even when this life alone is considered, than the price paid to walk with Jesus. 
Non-discipleship, not following Jesus, costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of situations, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly the abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ is after all an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it with him and learn the meekness and lowliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. Jesus actually promises life, abundant life. Even though it may involve a cross, there's still life and peace. And actually to not follow him is to miss that. And the cost is worse. So there's two responses. You might identify with one of those in particular today. Uh, and I suppose an opportunity today is to consider which cost is kind of weighing on more is it the cost of following and actually just a need to embrace or is there a hesitation and a need to wake up to the seriousness of of the decision and and what jesus is calling us to um and maybe even like i said before maybe even you're here this morning and there's there's never actually been that decision of where you just go from from sort of maybe being in the middle or maybe hanging back to actually being yes i'm going to follow and and maybe today is even an opportunity uh, a moment to sort of say yes to jesus just in your heart um, to, to commit to following him, uh, to surrender to him, to actually say, yeah, I'm in. I know there's a cost, but I'm in. It's, he's worth it. Um, and if you want to do that today, you can just do that with God yourself. Um, I'm going to be down here after the service, and if you'd like to pray or like to talk about that more, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, and that's, that's the decision to follow. Another decision, which um, is often a, the next step after that, is to be baptized. Um, if we follow Jesus, we believe in our hearts and we choose to follow him. And then the way to, or the first step really after that, is to be baptized, um, which is the physical acting out of that internal decision um, of saying, my old life is gone. Yes, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus. And that, then there needs to be a counting of the costs before doing that. It's, it's like, actually, this is a decision to follow Jesus. So it needs to be understood and thought through. But it's what Jesus says to do. So if we're going to follow Jesus, it's not something to put off and sort of say, I'll get to that later. I've got to do these other things first, and then, then I'll get there. And so maybe if you've been following Jesus but have never done that and are interested in that, um, I'd love to talk to you about that. I've actually got some booklets just on baptism, um, which I'm just going to leave up the front here today. So feel free just to come and grab one of those if you're interested, and I can talk to you about that, or we could work through that as well. Um, but there, then there could just be other things today of, of God's tapping us on the shoulder and saying, I'm leading you down this way, and maybe today is the moment to say yes. Um, so we're going we're gonna to sing. Um, I'm going to pray. And then, um, yeah, I'll just be up here afterwards if, if you'd like prayer. And if you'd like prayer for anything else, uh, I'd like to talk about any of that, um, or with each other as well, particularly like that Barclay quote, if there's something that's stirring, uh, don't just say, I'll get to it later. Like, take this time with God now and with each other now and seize the moment. So maybe you could stand with me and, and let's pray and then, then we'll sing and then I'll be up here afterwards um, if you like. Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you um, yeah, for who you are. Um, Lord, I just love that you speak the truth. Um, you speak the truth to our hearts because you care about us enough to tell us the truth. And just ask God even now if there's things that you want to say to us um, individually um, that you give us is to hear and an open heart. Uh, thank you, Jesus, that you are the way of life and that we get to stand here before you and follow you and just ask for your grace and help to stay on that path of life.
and just we just want to trust you and count the cost and follow you. Uh, so Holy Spirit, would you just bless us and lead us and fill us in this time, we pray. Amen.